you can get a library card for free and you can pick up a book and you can read. Why don't I like to read? Did you know you can get audiobooks? See, I am the queen of I don't want to hear it. I really am. I am the queen of I don't want to hear it. I don't have any money at the public library. There's an app where you can listen to audiobooks. Get this for free. So who do you need to be sitting in that seat? Who do you need? And then I want you to think about what kind of people you want around you. Because if the people on your bus are not the kind of people you want, you need to be serving an eviction notice. And okay. I'm not saying I love it. I love it. So personally speaking, I am a woman who is powerful. I am resilient. I know who I am, but at the same time, I know who I'm not. I know who I've been called to. I know that I want to make an impact. And I actually would restate that and say, I do make an impact. When I walk into a room, my personal declaration is, is that people love me. I change the atmosphere because I bring a fragrance that no one can deny. I'm a woman of faith. I'm a woman of virtue. I'm a woman of integrity. And I'm a woman who's been called not just to be great, but I believe I'm here to make people great. Oh gosh. Whoa. Let's go. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, that pumps me up. And that makes me, uh, I love that because there's, there's so much, I mean, you can hear it and you can see it and you can feel it, um, as somebody that's just listening to this. Um, but there's, she says these things and you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm guessing, you know, she's, she's portraying confidence, you know, as a person would want to do. But the thing is we were on a, a group call and you went in the first time I ever heard you speak. My first ever introduction to you was passively sitting. I wasn't even on the camera and I was just listening to this call happening. And you, all you did was ask a question and your, and this was similar to, it was just video. And the type of energy that you brought just from getting on camera and asking the question embodied everything that you just said, you know, it was, so you, it's true. You know, it's not just, you're not, you're not in the stage of faking it until you made it. If you had to do that at some point, you're not doing it anymore, which is really cool. <laughs> so um, when you were, when you were talking about, um, I love, actually, we'll start off right at the beginning. You, you, you led off with saying that I am a woman, you know, and how, how do you think that that interplays with what you do and what it is that you're trying to accomplish? Does it, do you have, have you seen it like benefit you? Does it give you a great perspective? I mean, it's not like, you know, the perspective of not being a woman, <laughs> but, but, uh, which is fair, but, um, but how do you think that that further empowers your message? First of all, thank you so much, Matt, for saying that on the group call. I have no idea what that question was. It must, have been, <laughs> must have been a very curious, my, my curious nature. So in response to your question, when I said I am a woman and how has that benefited me? I would say, how has it not? I celebrate who I am. I know that there have been a lot of mistreatment uh, to women with different movements and, and how women really have felt very marginalized. So I don't deny any of those things have happened to women. And I don't want to diminish that. And I don't want to pretend as if because I am a woman, I haven't had things happen to me. 
but I am a fan of the saying that things happen for me. I don't think my sex as a woman stops me and it didn't stop Harriet Tubman. It didn't stop Margaret Thatcher. It didn't stop Condoleezza Rice. So why should I allow the excuse that I am a woman stop me? I let it work for me. I celebrate women. I think that women are incredibly powerful. I don't see myself as a person who is in competition with men. I see myself as a woman who is a compliment to a man because I'm married to a man. So obviously I'm not in competition with him. I'm a compliment to him. And I just say of myself that I'm my husband's greatest asset. And that's, I am an asset. I think I'm, I think I'm an asset. Why would I not, why would I not celebrate everything that a woman is and everything that a woman could be? So I hope that that answers what your question is. I I just think that I I just embrace who I am. I'm a woman. I I just embrace that. I embrace. And I, I think once you embrace yourself, whether or not you are a female or male or what, however you identify I think that the benefit comes not from just like being a woman. I think it comes from embracing who I am, all of my strengths, all of my weaknesses, the things I love and the things I hate. I embrace all of it. My flaws, I embrace my failures. Not that I don't try to overcome the the failures, but I embrace it. And I think that that makes me powerful just as a human being, if you will. <laughs> that's great. I think that's beautiful. Um, how do you, how do you do that? How do you how, like you specifically, and then mm-hmm. you as a facilitator of great knowledge and information, um, how do you embrace, let's start, I mean, we could do so many things off what you just said, but let's start with the the big one that's failure how does sheree embrace failure and what does that mean what does that look like that's a great question matt how do i embrace failure i think failure is an opportunity sometimes we can think as people or we can think in our position or we can think when we're under pressure that failure is an identity So that's the first thing is you have to look at failure for what it is, not for what it is not. A failure in your business doesn't mean that you are a failure. And I think that that's where people get the two confused. You think because I have failed that I I am a failure, but I'm not. I love what John Maxwell says. Sometimes we win and sometimes we fail forward or he really says how sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. So failure, look at it as an opportunity to learn, to learn more about yourself. You learn more about people. You learn more about your environment. And I'll just give you an example about, let's see, I think it was 2018, 2017, 2018. I entered a contest. It was a speech contest. And at the beginning of the year, I just said, okay, well, I'm going to go for it. This is what I'm going to do. And I went and I gave my speech to a group of people at City Hall here in Las Vegas. It was a failure. Oh, my gosh. It, I felt, okay, I thought maybe I have a little talent. Like maybe my stuffed animals will listen to me talk. But after that, it, I felt humiliated. 
Like I felt so humiliated because not only was I asking them for their feedback, that was the intention of this actual gathering where, you know, I was speaking to these people. They gave it to me and it was brutal. And it was from people I didn't even know. I was like, dude, I don't even know you. <laughs> I, I, I learned, I learned, you know what? I learned that I needed work. I needed to get better. So maybe we need to change our perspective and our vernacular about how we see failure, because I really think it could be an indication. You just need to get better. And in, 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 at that, in that situation, it was interesting. I learned that I actually don't project my voice. I, I can project my voice, but I was yelling at my kids. But when you're actually in front of a group of people, my voice was so quiet and they said, we can't hear you. So I learned, I I learned a lot of things out of that experience. I needed to project my voice. I needed to exude confidence. I needed to make sure that my face actually matched what I was saying, because when I was communicating and as communicator, sometimes when we speak, we can say that something was very difficult and be smiling. Mm -hmm. Well, Well, you actually have to have your face match your story. So that way you connect with the audience. So in, in all in all, that, that's how I've done it. You know how I've learned how to embrace failure? I failed. Failing. <laughs> Go figure. I failed. Who wants to say that? That's, you, you're not going to put that on Pinterest. Who puts a Pinterest fail? Maybe that is the next movement. Maybe that's the next uh, Instagram movement instead of the, the motivational ones. It's the failure ones. You know? oh my, well, how do you embrace failure? So... It's tough because it, it, it depends categorically on what we're talking about, because there are some things where I go into it and I know that this is an experiment. I know that it's new. And even this, this was a learned thing. Um, I actually learned to go first and to succeed first or fail first, whatever, whatever was going to happen um, as a leader in the military. So and it took me that long. I didn't join young. I relatively, I joined when I was 21, about 22. So not fresh mm-hmm. out of high school, like most. And even by that time, you know, I just hadn't, I hadn't applied myself really that age old story. You know, you don't, you don't do a lot and you're just kind of existing and figuring out what you're going to do, but not doing anything, not taking any actual steps to figure out what you're going to do. You know? And so just kind of letting I, the way that I explained it was the, the, my life and the world around me was happening to me, you know, like mm. I was just, I was alive, you know, I'm there. And I think that that's, I think that's true for a lot of people. And it took for me being in a position of leadership in the military, because I was really good in, in innately good at taking orders and going out and executing on those orders, you know, and going above and beyond uh, what, what was expected, which led to a lot of success and led to very rapid promotions where I was got to be in charge of a lot of people, which was a great honor. But I remember one time in particular, we were, I was in Arizona for, uh, for some training. I actually, I was, I was changing my job in the army because you can do that. So I was in air defense and I switched to be military intelligence. And while I was in Arizona, which is like the center of excellence for military intelligence, uh, for the army, at least I was what they call a reclass. So I was reclassifying my position 
And I'm going through the same exact training that people straight out of basic training go to, to learn their craft, learn their skill. So there's probably in the total graduating class, there's probably like 500 analysts, like intelligence analysts that graduated and there were about 20 reclasses. And so, and I was probably the most senior and I wasn't very senior. I was just a Sergeant E5, like the lowest rank leader you can be, but I was probably the most senior uh, leader uh, that was in there. So I was tasked with a lot of kind of sub leadership roles. I'm not technically supposed to be allowed to lead in those situations. At any rate, we're going through this event and there's an opportunity that comes up that uh, for the German armed forces proficiency badge. And so we have like the German officer that's there and they're, they have the series of skills and tests that you have to do. You have to shoot their weapons and qualify on their weapons. You have to, um, the one in particular that's standing out to me is that, is that there's a swimming component to it. And so you have to swim 800 meters in a certain amount of time. And so it was the first time in my, yeah, it was, it was the first time in my life I had ever swam competitively not swim my whole life like just in the in the rivers and pools and what have you but uh never with skill (laughs) like i do the the freestyle where your head's above water the whole time and you're like going you know uh no no skill so i recognized that in myself and i was like well i want to i want this badge i want to earn this while i'm here um how can i do that so i went to they actually had a pool on that base with lifeguards there so i went there i went to a lifeguard i was like hey can you teach me how to swim like a re- like a real swimmer <laughs> so she was like sure so we did i showed up every day and she taught me how to swim and then it was finally time for the competition and the instructor comes out and she's like all right, guys, it's time for the swim. And the swim was the thing that had everyone the most nervous. So everyone's there kind of like freaking out. It's it's that moment before where like uh, you could hear a pin drop. You know, the mm. tension is high. No one's saying anything. I'm pretty, I'm cool as a cucumber because I've been training. Like I figured out what, what was required and I've done it. I've successfully done this event like seven times by then. So that was kind of the secret sauce there. But um, that was the first time I remember actively choosing to go first in something where I was fairly confident what was going to happen, but uh, to, to kind of break that fear and to, and to set an example. Um, and so that was, that was, that kind of changed my leadership style and approach for the rest of my military career and still to this day. And what that meant for me was that even in things where I wasn't as prepared in doing um, it was important for me to set the example through action and through doing it. And so even, and there were many times that I did that same exact thing in very similar circumstances and I fell flat on my face. And, but what it did, even in the circumstances where I did well, people were like, oh, wow, like that, we can do it. You know, like there's an example, like I, this is possible. And we've seen uh, a strategy and how to get it done. And we can try to do it that way. Or they see me fall on my face and then, I turn around and laugh about it. And then they laugh with like, Oh my God. Okay. Like it kind of releases the tension from the situation. And so uh, that's through those events um, and through those opportunities with, with soldiers and and growing and learning. I, it just, I learned to embrace failure for the sake of others. 
is kind of the way that it worked for me in, in that realm. And it very quickly, I was able to ascertain, you know, like, this is how it benefits me. This is what I've learned from it. And I'm, that was, that was almost less spoken. It was like the, the internal dialogue happening. My internal narrative was already saying it, there was no like, okay, well, should we do this? Should we do that? It's like, I know what to do. It's just a matter of going and doing it. And so the, my, my real conversations, my real struggles after that to, to, capitalize on failure and, and to make them right is the it's like beating my internal narrative to the punch so if i'm thinking like oh wow, well, i want i love it if i want if i want to increase my runtime so my one of my goals while i was in was to run five miles in uh, less than eight minute per mile pace uh, that was like the ranger standard. So I was like, oh, well, that's what I want to hit. It's my goal. Um, and the biggest obstacle I had to overcome wasn't the actual running, wasn't increasing the skill. It was actually walking out the door and doing it, you know? And so, and I loved running too, but it was just that thing. It was like, once you get started, it's amazing. And so I, I knew that that started to be the case. And I was starting to develop these habits of thinking about running, but not actually running. <laughs> so I would, I'd beat myself to the punch. I would, as soon as I had the inkling, like, oh, I should go run. It was immediate action. Yeah. It was going shoes on, tying shoes. And it was like almost, it was like turning up a loudspeaker in my brain that was like, I'm just doing so much right now that I can't think. If I'm thinking about tying my shoes, then I'm thinking about tying my next shoe. And then I'm thinking about standing up. Then I'm like, okay, I have to, my, my running shorts, you know, and, I, and then I'm out the door. And it was by the time I hit, I hit the first step and I'm actually running. And then my brain didn't have time. It didn't have time to think, oh, well, you know, you should probably be doing this and we got to pick up the stuff in the back and you have all these other things to do. And it's just, I beat it. You know, I beat, and that's, that's one of the ways that I beat that conversation. So very long winded way to talk about how I embrace failure, but <laughs> I, well, I just love that Matt, because you said so many, you said some things that really stood out. And one of the ones that you, one of the statements you use was I fail for the benefit of others. I fail for the benefit of others. And I just love that because sometimes people are so afraid to fail because when it really comes down to it for some of us, not for everyone, you're selfish. You're afraid of what you're going to look like. You're not actually thinking about the impact that you will actually make, which is why some people actually never take the first step or the second step. And so what, what, how do they say it? If you fail by not doing, you fail by default. Mm -hmm. I would rather embrace the suck than I would just to sit. Like That's you've got to be willing to suck because mm -hmm. you're not going to be perfect you want to be perfect i want to like who doesn't want to be perfect come on but you're just it's it's not reality it's a fantasy that you're going to come out the gate you're going to be able to swim 800 meters i probably couldn't swim two meters just for the record no not even a meter i i just i you know what i mean i i would i would be afraid to suck you, but you have to be willing to suck. And but the, here's the thing. If you suck, you might lose face. Mm -hmm. And you're too concerned about what you're going to look like for a minute instead of what you're going to be for a lifetime. So I just love your story. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think about ways to uh, a strategies live here with you of how to get people past the losing face, you know, if, if you can shift your focus to other people and 
one of the things that I've that I think that's helpful. Some people can't do this. Some people would be like, yeah, I get it. It would help, but I'm still going to lose face. And is my losing face really worth the benefit of mm-hmm. other people? Especially if you don't know them and there's not a relationship there. Or if you do know them really well, you really don't want to lose face in front of them. Um, but one of the things that I've I've really fallen in love with in love with is this idea of divorcing yourself from your thoughts, from your beliefs. That trying to create a chasm between, okay, this is what I think about X, Y, or Z. In this case, we'll say about myself. Like I think that you know I am a professional, and so when I show, like I don't think that having I don't know, like a silly day, like a reward where if I'm running a business and you know, they, my sales team hits a goal. One of the things they get to do is like, you know, do the whipped cream pie in my face, you know, as like, as like a silly thing to be a part of the team. I don't think that's professional. So I'm not going to do it. And it's, you know, you can use different exercises to try to divorce yourself. The one that I love the most is probably like the seven whys, you know? And so you, you just ask why seven times. And so you answer like, okay, well, why don't you want to do something silly? It doesn't have to be a pie. Why don't you want to do something silly with your team? It's like, oh, well, because I'm a professional. Like, well, why, why is that important to you? Why is it important to you to be like a professional? And then you just work your way down the line until you get to that core value. And then you can realize that there's actually multiple paths. Because it might just be, well, I started this business. This is important to me. Um it's it's the what brings food and value into my family. It's what uh, what how I see my purpose come into reality, and and it's how I help others. And so this is the way that I get that done. And it's like, well, how much fun? I guess another question that you can insert in along the way this whole process is how much fun can you have while you're doing this? You know, <laughs> like I I think that we missed it. I think we missed the fun part. And I think that turning making failure fun might be might be a beneficial thing and as a leader you have the ability to to create that environment to make room to say look at me fail and look at how much fun it can be and then think about the type of culture that creates that actually i want to ask you about this because you speak to leaders and you talk about clarity and and I, gosh darn it i had them all three right here use you, you got it you know what you speak on yeah <laughs> Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I do. I like the idea of making failure fun. And I like your question about how do you get people to get beyond the entire concept of doing it for others? If there's no relationship or they don't want to look like a fool in front of their partner, if you will, I think that it really comes down to what kind of person do you want to be? I think about my future self. I think about am I actually taking the actions that can make her proud? Because coming up in a few years here, I told my husband, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 50. I'm going to be 50 in seven years. I'll be 44. And am I taking the kind of actions that are going to make her proud? That's important. Like who you are becoming, it's important. So it, it, even if I know I'm going to fail, I'm going to go for it because just the, the mere fact, like what you said, you beat the internal narrative. Sometimes you have to beat your internal narrative. 
those voices that say I can't, those voices that said, oh, like you did it again. You know, you failed last time. What what makes you think it's going to be any different? Sometimes you like life can clap at you. I say clap back. I clap back. I clap back because when I look back at my 20 year old self and my 30 year old self, I didn't take the kind of actions that would make me proud. And I just refuse. If if I'm going to be given this life, this breath, this body and be this beautiful person, if I have the ability to think I live in a free country, why would I think small? When you think small, you do a disservice to your community. You do a disservice to your family. You do a disservice to yourself. And for me, I do a disservice to my creator because I'm made for impact. I'm not promised that my the way the impact fleshes out will always be perfect, but I, I, I am promised that I can walk it out and, and I can progress. And so I, I, for me, it it's always comes down to like, who, what kind of person do you want to be? And I say this as a, as a young girl, I grew up in a home with domestic violence, drug use, emotional and verbal abuse. And I cried as a young girl, but as a woman, I say, if I'm going to cry, it's because I'm crying tears of joy. It's because I've had a reason. So the blood and the sweat and the tears is, is for the joy. There's something beautiful about just having grit and not just taking whatever life serves to you. And in this country, I just always think of it as I have a responsibility. I take it so seriously. I have a responsibility, which means that I might not always be able to control what happens to me, but I can control what, how, how I respond. I control my thoughts. My thoughts don't lead me. I lead my thoughts. My feelings, they don't lead me. Like who's in charge here? Are you in control or your feelings are in control? And, and so that, that's, that's how I, I, what was the original question? I'm like, I just went on a roll. Just went on a roll. And as leaders, are you kidding me? I love it. You know what I love about Brene Brown? That she's not perfect. I love it that she said that she she dealt with depression. I love it that she said that, you know, when critics were talking about her, it did something to her. It made me feel close to her. So I love it when a leader. I love it when leaders win, but I love it when they actually, when they fail, like I'm not cheering for them when they fail, but you know what it does? It gives me permission to not be perfect. Not that I need permission, uh, but, but there, there's just a release where you go, you know what? You're not perfect either. Wait a minute, Oprah, like you didn't come from a perfect background either. Hold on Maya Angelou. You, you weren't perfect either. It gives me a reason to say, you know, I can show up getting rid of all of the excuses, no apologies and no excuses. If you fail, get better and be willing to admit, I don't know (laughs) that you actually might need to get better. Isn't that a isn't that a crazy development? Like news break. News break. <laughs> you know what? Out. You're 
you're not actually sometimes we think we're good or or but we actually have to admit for me it was Sheree, you're an okay speaker but you actually need to get better so mm-hmm. what kind of it's a learning opportunity what kind of competencies do you need that's one of my big things sometimes people say oh i want to be more confident i want to be more confident but confidence is actually a feeling and i really do believe this that sometimes people can mistakenly confuse confidence and competence they're mm-hmm. two different things. Mm-hmm. Confidence means you 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 have the 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 belief or the assuredness that the belief or trust in something or someone. Competence means you have the capacity mm-hmm. to actually complete a task or a skill. And some so sometimes it's not that you're not confident or actually it's you're not competent. You don't actually know what you are doing. <laughs> Or if you do, you're not any good at it. And you, it's a, you need help. I need help. <laughs> you need help. I just got the name for this episode. You need help. <laughs> you need help. It's okay. We all need help. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. Um, especially when God, I love, there were so many things that you said in, in just a few moments ago. The one that I'm calling back to is when you were talking about the 50 year old Cherie and, and kind of what are you doing in service to her? This is so interesting because I developed a very uh, similar strategy and it is, I know, I know I've never heard somebody else talk about it this way. So I like to think about that same exact thing. Um, So I, I project myself with like, I don't, I don't, throw an age on it just like okay the five years five years from now the matthew that has done x y and z that has run the ultra marathon that has you know been invited to speak in front of a stadium full of people you know that has been able to share his message and change lives would he do what you're doing like and Mm. so I, i try to ask that somewhere between five and six times a day. And so I'm like, if he was here, cause that I, it's not that I, I'm not diving into any sort of thought process about, you know, alternate universes and I'm actually communicating with him. But like in my head, I'm like, I feel like I can, I can manufacture that person, that version of me that does exist in the future in a way where I can actually get a pretty meaningful answer. And what that all comes down to being is that you know what it takes right now. You know what it takes. And it might take getting help from somebody else that knows more than you. That might be a part of it. It's not that you have all the answers, but you know what it takes. Like, okay, if I'm going to be successful in X, Y, and Z, if, if I'm going to have a successful marriage, I know what it takes. You know, you know what it takes. If I want to get in shape, if I want to lose weight, you know what it takes. And so just do exactly like you said, you know, take that version of you in the future and, and, and the one that did it, the one that knocked it out and it's you and say, when you're sitting down, you're like, all right, you know, dinner's over time for dessert. Like, Maybe not. Maybe maybe the version yeah. of me that stemmed yeah. off and did that thing and lost 20 pounds and got in shape and extended not just my length of time, but my quality of life through my length of time, 
maybe that one didn't make that choice. Maybe that one, maybe that me made a different choice. What choice would that be? And so it just, instead of beating yourself up through the lens of this is healthy and I need to do this, I need to do that. Like I already did it. I just got to tap into to the me and the decisions that I made to get there. And so it's just more, it, to me, I think the most powerful thing that you can do is ask questions. And no matter where you're at, no matter what part of life, it, it doesn't matter. Questions are the most powerful thing because what it does, it generates self-discovery. And so rather than somebody else telling me, this is what you need to eat in order to, to get right, I'm asking myself because I already know. I already know, you know, that freaking chips and beer are not the way to a, to a flat stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they're not, yeah, no. <laughs> but, but they're fat free and it's, <laughs> they're baked. Like, and it's not to say, I mean, obviously, and I'm not here. I'm not, this isn't me prescribing anything. I'm other, I am. I'll take that back. I am. I'm prescribing questions. I'm prescribing asking questions and doing it frequently. Be Become familiar with the concept of asking questions. That's actually why I love doing this podcast because I get to ask questions. And then great guests, I have, a, I have really good guests, but great guests like you ask questions back. And so we get to explore ideas together. Thank you. Matt, as you were talking, it made me think, I love your concept of asking why. And then asking yourself, are you, are you doing what your future self deserves? And it made me think about the story of the tale of two wolves. I'm not sure who the author is, but there's a tale of these two wolves. It's a poem. You can Google it. And one of the wolves is mean and angry. And the other wolf is kind and, and gracious and has all the, all the inherent qualities that we all want. And the grandfather is telling the story to the son about the two wolves. And the son says, well, well, which wolf is going to win? And he said, oh, the one you feed. The wolf you feed will win. I got goosebumps. <laughs> and as you're talking about your future self and what this future self deserves, I want to know what do you feed your future self? So this internal wolf from the poem, your internal self, that version of you, that's the highest in the highest expression or version of you wins. Like, what do you feed that part of you to make sure you win? Once you self, you, you do go through the self-discovery. Yeah. So, um, I think that's there, there's different parts of the diet, right? When you think about it, oh. if, you, if we continue on with the analogy, <laughs> so, um, if you're, if you're feeding, if you're trying to feed your current self in a manner that is conducive to leading you to the future self that you desire, right? You're, um, you have to think about it in multiple different ways. And you could, there are so many people that break this down. You can do mind, body, soul. Um, and that that's a pretty, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good one. I mean, they're, they all kind of revolve around that and you can get more nuanced, but you're not going to be the work that I do is all about resilience. It's all about bringing, creating resilient cultures at work. I do that by helping empower leaders. Um, mm -hmm. and, and as a result, they get to attract and retain the best people. And so how does that, how does that interplay? So if you are 
if you're trying to feed the the soul of or the future version of the people that you work with you need to make sure that they are coming in at their best and so mm. one of a lot of times we leaders think about their employees or their workforce as i'm responsible for you for you from nine to five mm -hmm. um and they don't think about what's happening outside the workplace unless there's a problem and then it's time to become doctor or really it's time to become a surgeon and cut you out of the company. But which is unfortunate um, because you can create different environments that are more conducive to a collaboration um, in the sense of like a lifestyle collaboration. And so how can your leader be a part? <laughs> just I was talking about this uh, just the other day. You are the movie star of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you are the center of your world and, and the way that you perceive things, you know, you could put value on whatever you want to put value on, but you're with you all the time. So like you're the main character in the story, everyone around you supporting cast. Right. Right. <laughs> but it's the same thing for everybody. Yeah. So you get to choose what type of role you're playing in somebody else's life. That's interesting to the extent that they'll let you. They may let you play a bigger role. And depending on the type of role you choose to play, you might get a supporting, you know, like lead supporting actor role. But it's based on your choices and it's based on how you want to be a part of their story. And it comes first by acknowledging that you're a part of the story. So again, how does this go back to what we're talking about and how to, how to generate that future self? Well, you have to, when you're doing that, you want, you're a part of this person, you're a part of the employee, let's say their pro progression towards their future self. You can't feed them. You can't be a part of that. You can't be a supporting role unless you know what that self-actualized, if we're going with Maslow uh, version okay. of himself is. You have okay. to know. So again, starts with questions. You have to ask them questions. You have to figure it out. And, and these, most of the time when we're, when leaders are sitting down with employees, they're discussing this is your annual review and this is how you did. And these are the bad things that you did. This is what you can do to improve. You have to make it more frequent and you have to, it has to go beyond performance at the workplace. Because when you do that, you are, you're creating an environment of trust. Um, and you're also creating the ability for them to, to go to you with problems that you can help them solve. When this is the case, when they have a support network and, and, a part of that process is, you know, creating the type of work that leads to fulfillment, which is a whole nother conversation. So if you're creating a, the type of workplace and the type of culture that allows for fulfillment, allows for autonomy, allows for, uh, you know, certain type of task management where people feel more, more fulfilled at work, that carries home with them. That carries, they carry that home with them to home, right? They bring that home with them. Ah, see, there was a, I was going to get there. I had to fail two or three times with that statement, but, but so they got to bring, they're going, regardless of how that day goes, they're bringing it home with them. So you can be the supporting actor and say, I'm going to help to make sure that what you're bringing home with you is better because, and this is all self-interest, you know, it's not selfish. All of this is very self-interested. If I'm a manager and I want the best out of my employee, I want them to go home as happy as they can be and as fulfilled as they can be. Because when they do that, 
they're bringing that energy home to their spouse, to their kids. And they're not, they're not saying, give me 30 minutes. I have to like recover from the trauma of my work day. It's like, dude, this was incredible. Like after this conversation, I'm not going to go out into my wife and be like, babe, I just need, I need like 30, you know, like it's, it was Cherie's rough, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm going to go out there energized. I'm going to be pumped. And so if you can create that kind of energy that people are coming home with, then it satisfies it, it not to satisfies it increases the level of their being at home. And what is it? And the third part of the, the triangle that I connect is I do work, home, sleep. Sleep is impacted by your stress at work. It's impacted by your st- the stress at work impacts your quality of life at home, your quality of life at home and your stress at work both impact your sleep and your quality of sleep directly impacts your performance and quality at work and your performance and quality at home. All of these are interconnected. And if we don't look at ways that, if we don't understand that what we're doing directly impacts all three, then we're going to leave people where they are right now <laughs> and where they, where are they at right now? I mean, you've seen, you've seen the news that it's, we've had the largest number of deaths of despair in recorded history in the United States alone, in the freest country in the world that, that can be up for debate, but in, in what is known to be the freest country in the world where you have so many options and so many opportunities, we've had, it was what 100,000, 100,000 deaths of despair in 2021. Terrible, absolutely terrible. And we could do so much better through understanding the interconnectedness of our our role in other people's lives and our ability to help people get to that stage. So trying to think specifically about how you feed it. So you you can't get there. You you feed it by giving you feed your future self by giving yourself giving yourself the things that you need in order to get there. And in order to get to anywhere where you feel good about your life, you have to feel good physically. And so you have to you You've got to get up and move. I'm not saying you got to go lift weights. You got to do CrossFit. You got to do this or that or the other. I don't care. Get up, move, get in the sun, absorb it. Vitamin D, you need it. Like it's, it's so important. Eat better. You don't have to eat perfect. You know, it's not, it's not kale salads every day for the rest of your life. You know, it's mm-hmm. eat better. Like if you, if you had that dessert yesterday, don't do it. Just don't have the dessert. Eat the chips, drink the beer tonight. Don't eat, don't eat the half quart of ice cream. Be better. Just be a little better. <laughs> and and when you're doing that, actually, those two things have a really cool interplay. That when when you start doing things that are physically demanding, even when, especially when they're fun. This happened to me with Ultimate Frisbee. Last bit of this tangent before I'll hand it back over. Ultimate Frisbee. Yes. Have you I've heard? I've got to hear about this. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's um so. Think rugby meets frisbee with no contact. So um the lots and, and 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 soccer kind of put those all together into one. So you're you have you have two teams, you're going against each other, there's end zone on each side, and you're basically in a constant state of running. And so this this was the first time that so I had a back injury back when I was in the army. Ever since then, I had Prior to that injury, I was running about 13 miles a day, five to six days a week um, for two years, 
two, three wow. years. Yeah. And that was like normal to me. And it just, yeah, that's a, that's another story, but all, all that's just to say is that I was in really good physically running shape. Like I ran like a monster. And so then I get hurt jump out of a plane, 47th jump, herniate my disc, two lower discs in my back and running's gone like out of existence for my life. And so I got in terrible shape. It continued to eat. I, I wasn't eating great, but I was running so much. It didn't matter. And I was really young. I was probably like 24. So it didn't matter. I, my metabolism's great and I'm running all the time. So that all shifted <laughs> like at the same time, but gained a ton of weight, felt like crap and, uh, and just lost myself, you know, but, uh, but eventually, you know, physical therapy, and working with doctors and having some minor procedures and stuff done, no surgeries, thankfully. Uh, I was, a, I'm much more mobile. I'm able, I go out kayaking, we go hiking, uh, you know, and, and I got back into ultimate Frisbee, which I'd been introduced to in high school. And I'll tell you what, because it's sprinting. It's not just like running, it's sprinting. Well, for me, some people go real easy and I just don't know. I don't have like a halfway gauge. So I just, I'm gone. You know? So I'm out there and I'm, I'm, I'm sprinting. And it was just each time that I played was uh, this really intimate awareness between my brain and my lungs. And I was like, oh, we got room to grow. <laughs> we got lots of room to grow there. And, but as, as it, as I, we played more playing like twice a week, um, I was starting to feel it. And there were some things that I could tell I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't helping. Like eating this mm. isn't helping me out on mm. the field. Like I can actually tell when I stop eating this or when I stop doing that and interchange different activities, it has a direct impact. And it's how can you tell without testing the system without pushing the system, the system being your body. And the same thing goes with your mind. Like, how can you tell what, what your limits are? Because we, we all, I, I think we're pretty well aligned that we have almost limitless capacity with what to do with our lives. What we do have is, as uh, like the, the same way that you build a muscle, right? You get stronger by tearing it down and then building back up stronger and you tear it down some more and it builds back stronger. Um, but there's there's limits to that on your way to growth. Like, okay, but you you only know that by going down there and like picking up the dumbbell. Like, oh, it turns out I can't pick up 75 pounds with one arm. Like, that's a lot. Maybe I'll mm -hmm. start with five, <laughs> you know, and like, okay, cool. I can do five. And then you do that for a couple of weeks. And, but then you, you find your boundaries is the point. You figure out that internal limitation and then you push and then you push to the next one. And you, and then you found your new, internal limitation and you push to the next one and i think that's a lot of what you were talking about when it comes to um you know when you were talking about speaking when you went up in front of that group like you found your personal it, it's not saying again this is all like a state of permanency and that's why i was saying I, it's really important to be kind of divorced from your thoughts and your beliefs about things like it's good to have them but it's it's not you are not them so mm -hmm. You have a thought like, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to speak. I'm going to, I'm going to make my case on whatever it is. And, and it's going to go amazingly. And then if you hold on to that thought post poor performance, a lot of people, I think, want to avoid that now very obvious contradiction in reality by not, not doing it again. 
you know, and maybe they'll even say, I'm just, I'm not good at public speaking. I did it once and I quit. Or the, like, I know that I'm good. That crowd was stupid and other crowds are probably going to be stupid. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not playing this game. Yeah. I like what you're saying. There is a book called the mind body connection and it's a great book. And it just is, it gives credence to what you're actually saying about how you can't, the thoughts come, but just don't judge them. So I just, you have to allow the thoughts to come, but here's the thing about, about being an adult. That's great. You can actually be accountable. There's this ancient scripture that says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And the thing about children is that they love to blame. If you're a teenager, I didn't get up because my alarm clock didn't go off. I didn't do this because the dog ate my homework. I didn't do this because he hit me. But when you become an adult, you actually have to put away childish things. And you have to have this one word, accountability. It's accountability. Accountability is simply giving an account for the state that you are in, which means that I, your reality. And, and your reality might actually be wrong. So when I was in school, it was, well, I didn't learn because of the teacher, but it was interesting when I did, when I went to college, I didn't learn because of myself. There's a, a big change that happens when you go to college. I found out that some university professors care and some of them don't. So your learning is actually your responsibility from zero to 18 until you graduate. The learning is actually given to you from at 18 and above. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to grow. It's your responsibility as a leader to get better. I love this. I, I read this. It's not about the team. Your team is not your problem. The problem is you. It's not that we have, you can lead a horse to water, Cherie, but you can't make him drink. Well, lead the horse to water and show them how to drink. Because there have been people throughout history who have been able to lead teams. King David was one of them. All of his team members, they were in debt and they were depressed. And he turned these, these guys who were broken down and in despair, and he created a kingdom. So the onus for my life, it's not on society, it's on me. The onus for my team and its health and its growth, it's not on my team members, it's actually on me. And just back to what you were saying, I love what you said about how the mind and the body and the soul are all interconnected. And I was taking notes because it was just so good. I'm like, how am I going to listen to Matthew talk and not take notes? It is just that good. And you said, I love this. You said it depends on the diet because I was asking you, well, what do you feed this wolf so it'll win? And you said, well, there's different components of the diet Mm -hmm. and we have to feed people. I love this. You said, I am, I took it, this is me, but I am the lead actress in my own story and everyone else has a supporting role. But I have to remember that other people are the lead in their own story. And so what does that mean as a leader? I'm here to support them and we need to know what people need. That's what you said. And I love that. I need to know what my 
team members, if they're malnourished, I need to actually know if I have a team member who's in sales and they're not producing, I, the days of command and pace-stating leadership are over where you just give the command and people just follow. Millennials, they actually will not be, they will not be led like that. They want to make a difference in their, in their work environment. So it's my responsibility as a leader to know, okay, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How can I help you capitalize on your strengths? And how can I help you manage the weaknesses? Because I am a big believer in, yes, Clifton Strengths Finder, I got you. <laughs> I know my strengths, but I've actually had to build some risk management around those weaknesses because my weaknesses, to be honest with you, if I'm not careful, they can derail me from my destiny. Yep. That so is I, truth. I, I've got, I have to do something, but guess what? The onus is on me because when me gets to 50, the only person who's going to be held accountable, you're looking at her, mm-hmm. it's me. It's me. It's not you. It's not my spouse. It's not my kids. It's me. And am I, you know, one of my questions of today is, am I, I love what you said. Am I? operating at my limits? How can I grow my capacity? How can we as leaders grow our capacity? And sometimes I I think that leaders or people, if you're not leading right now, but I actually think that everyone is a leader. You're always leading. I love it. You beat me to the punch. You're a leader. I'm not sure if you're old enough to remember because you look so young, but Charles Barkley had this saying, this commercial Oh, oh God, yeah. 30 years ago. And he's like, I'm not a role model. Yep. I'm not. a. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. God. Yeah. Yeah. You are. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you want to be. Doesn't matter. You, if you, are. Want to be. you are. You are somebody's role model. You you really are. Um, but sometimes as leaders, we'll go out and we'll do something. We'll try and attempt something and we'll get hurt. We'll fail, fail. And in physical therapy, because you were saying you had physical therapy on mm-hmm. your back because of the herniated disc. I, I saw this sign at a physical therapist office one time, and it said many times people are injured because they do too much too fast after doing too little for too long. Don't you love that? Let me repeat that. It's so people true. Yeah, get right injured. Now. You fail because you do too much too fast after doing too little for too long. And so if you apply that to business or if you apply that in your leadership, you'll go, okay, we're going to put this new system in. We're going to do big, hairy goals. That's what team, listen, we're going to turn 50% in five months. Okay, wait a minute. You guys have never set goals before. And now you're telling me you're going to increase your profit by 50%. That's insane. But, and then when everything falls to, you know, where, you go, oh, it just wasn't meant to be. No, it's it's not necessarily that it wasn't meant to be. It's just that you did too much too fast after doing too little for too long. You have to actually grow in capacity. Sometimes people want to go from zero to 100, but that's not the way compound interest works. You, <laughs> It's the little foxes that spoil the camp. It's the little actions that you take. It's a daily task. 
It's like a Pareto's principle. Twenty mm-hmm. percent of your decisions will account for eighty percent of your results. And so we grow one step at a time. You don't have to see the what isn't it Martin Luther King? I think he says you don't have to see the entire stairway. You just have to take the next step. But here's the thing: you get to step in. <laughs> you got to take the next step. <laughs> That's so true. I think one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, uh, this made me think about it was, uh, was vision and that analogy, uh, made me think about the one that is, um, very similar where it's, you can drive across the nation. You could drive 3000 miles, you know, straight given, you know, in pitch black darkness on with only the capacity to see 20 to 33 feet in front of you, right? Same ideas. Don't worry about what's at the, at the top of the staircase. Don't worry about if there's oh, 5,000 steps or 5,000 stairs or 10. Don't worry about it. You got that one. You got that one to do. Let's do that one. And it's same kind of idea with that, where as far as, you know, if you could see what's in front of you, tackle what's in front of you. You can... I, I loved, I heard this recently. It was, um, I'm going to try to get it right. So it was, stress is, I don't know, what was it? Anxiety is concerned about the future and something was about the 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 worry, the contemplation of the past. Like stress is- Is it depression? Is it depression? It's contemplation It works, it's right. It's right. That's true. So we'll go with it. <laughs> but uh, so it's, if you if you're anxious, if you're feeling anxious right now, it's probably because you're looking at a step that's not the next one, and you might you might not like, it might not be incorrect to acknowledge like just because we're saying focus on the next step doesn't mean obviously you're gonna see three steps up. If I'm if my task right now is to write this script, I know that the script is to speak in front of twelve hundred people in in three months you know and so i could sit there and think about that or i can focus on that step right here right now i can turn the headlights on and i can focus on what i can see in front of me i can't see that crowd they're not here right now i can't see the auditorium i'm not there right now i can see this piece of paper i can see this laptop and i can see my hands what are they doing you know what is the anxiety giving me Mm. if you can't turn this, this is something else I wanted wanted to to discuss um, was, and I know I didn't let us even go into the one I just said I wanted to. <laughs> I I love it. We, I love it. We had talked about emotion earlier. You know, like what's what's in control. You had said this, like what's in control, you or your emotions. I I don't want to spend too much time. There's have you heard of um, oh what's his name. Pull it up in two seconds. It's the gentleman who had the railroad tie shoot through his head. That's not going to be it. Oh, gosh. Oh, I just read a whole book about him, too. Go figure. So, at any rate. Send it to me. Send it to me. I love a good book. Yes. It's, it's um, the book. Actually, you know what? I could probably look at the book. Descartes' Error. Where is he? 
Oh, that's lame. I suck. That's okay. Um, it's I, I've talked about this so many times, but he uh, there's a there's a guy that's working on the railroad tracks, and this incident occurs where some things happen out of sequence, and they're using TNT to blow open the rocks, and it actually they did it the wrong order. He was hollering at people way down the tracks to like make sure everything was clear, and he turned around, and the guy thought he said he told him to go, and he didn't, and so he like packs it down, and this railroad tie shoots through the whole through his head through like his eye socket up through the back of his head knocks yeah. him over it, it, it goes three four hundred feet down the railroad tracks through his head past that he gets knocked over on the ground everyone's like oh he's dead he's got like brain matter actually sticking out of his head and they come over okay. to look and they see and he sits up and he's like what happened and they're like uh we need to get you to the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and this was, and this is a long time ago. Like medicine has made leaps and bounds since this event. And they took him, they took him in and he sat down on a chair in the front porch with this doctor that was in a local town that was nearby. And the doctors were calling the story like in his journal. And he's saying, he's like, we're just sitting in the rocking chair and we're both just rocking back and forth. And I could see like a piece of skull there. And like, we're having a full on conversation about this. What ended up happening, the reason I bring this up is that his, uh, it went through his prefrontal cortex, but a specific part that I can't recall right now that has to do with the regulation of emotions. Mm-hmm. And the end result ended up being that he couldn't emote, he couldn't use his emotions anymore to make decisions. Wow. And so the ability for him to get from his bedroom out of the door in the morning was impossible because he lacked emotion. And people think, like, well, we always talk about getting rid. And you did not say this. I want to be clear. You did not say this. You said, who's in control? And I think that that is what matters. People often want to remove emotion. I've heard instructors and and PhDs in university say this, which makes me so sad. (laughs) It's like, oh, in this situation, you have to remove emotion in order to proceed. And I think they're just going shorthand. But when you remove emotion, you remove our ability to make the most basic choices. How could you decide what shirt you're going to wear today? I did this based off emotion. I was like, oh, I like the way that one feels. And it looks kind of nice. I think that'll work great. You know, it was emotionally based through the context of the situation. If we, how, how do you, because I think that this is the, the lesson that I want, I wanted to try to draw out of this. How do you leverage your emotions in a way that benefits you and benefits the leaders and the people that you work with and that you speak to? Wow. Thank you, Matt. That's, that's a great question. How do I leverage emotion so that it benefits people? And just to speak to your point about this gentleman who endured such a horrific tragedy of having his emotions or ability to regulate emotions completely removed, that is what a, what an incredible story. It, It really gives credence to the fact that I guess credence is my word for this. I like it. <laughs> for this I like podcast. it. It's a go-to word, word for me too. Like you're speaking my language. Yeah, it gives credence <laughs> to your point. Harkens uh, back. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
it gives credence to the importance of emotions. Emotions are the spice of life. They are what enables us to have relationships. Just imagine having if people having an emotionless relationship. People who are in emotionless relationships, they part ways because there has to be chemistry there or a vibe. Emotions create atmosphere. There's something so exciting about walking into a room and the room is charged with this electric intensity, this excitement. It immediately wants you to engage. Emotions, they, they tell a story. But remember this, emotions tell a story. Sometimes those stories are true but sometimes they're not. You can watch a movie like The Notebook or Saving Private Ryan. And you these movies are designed to evoke emotions. Mm -hmm. But the emotions that I'm feeling for the characters in the movie, you have that where you're watching someone and and there's this anti-hero or there's this villain and you're like, oh, I hate you. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait for your demise. (laughs) We've all had that. (laughs) It's what makes life exciting. But again, when I'm watching a, a movie, the characters are not true. The emotions they accompany a story. So I have to make sure that when it comes to feelings, emotions, things that are being invoked in my soul, that the story is actually something that's based on fact Mm -hmm. and it's not based on fiction. Mm -hmm. That's how I serve people. And I, and I don't do the seven whys, but I'm going to do that now that you've said that ask myself the seven whys. What I do for myself is I, and I had to do this. This is something that my counselor told me. Oh yeah. I've seen a counselor because guess what? I had issues with emotions and I would pretend that they weren't there, but I'm going to tell you something leaders, people, you can pretend like emotions aren't there, but they come up and they knock and they say, I'm here and you will acknowledge me. It's either it's physically or they they just come out in the most interesting ways. (laughs) And I learned that the most opportune times, right? The most (laughs) opportune time. It's really interesting. Somebody just taps me on the shoulder. What? It's it's, because I'm not dealing with my emotions. I'm pretending (laughs) as if I don't have any. And now I have just deflected all of my issues Mm -hmm. on you. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that she taught me was to take the emotion. And I don't know, I had to actually name it. Because sometimes we don't even know what we are feeling. Yep. It's interesting. We can know what everybody else is feeling and have an opinion about what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. But it isn't, isn't it amazing how we can't even know our own self? I had to name my emotions. Name it. Name it. What is it? Is it anger? Is it shame? Is it rage? Is it embarrassment? And then I had to take it down to, okay, what's the thought? Because emotions don't have thoughts. They, they're just, they're feelings. So I have the feeling or emotion. 
Now, what's the thought? Okay, now I have to take it back. Why am I thinking this? And then I take another step back and go, okay, what's the truth? And now what am I going to do? So here's a funny one. All of a sudden yesterday, like this is fresh, hot off the press. This, this is a fresh one. And it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm sitting down, my family's in here. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just feeling on edge. I'm feeling edgy. I wouldn't call it anxious, but I would say I'm just feeling on edge, a little jumpy. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? What, why? Yeah, I'm having this internal conversation. Like, what is wrong? Why am I jumpy? Everybody's laughing. And, I, and I'm thinking, what, what was I just thinking about? Oh, I'm thinking about Thanksgiving. And guess who's hosting this year? I am. And guess who doesn't really? I like I'm not. I, I cook. But the thought of an entire house of people and all of the pressure on me to like cook this delicious meal I have no idea where that thought came from, but there it was. <laughs> so I had to, I had to think like, okay, what am I thinking? I'm thinking about everybody coming on, th- coming on Thanksgiving. Okay. But why are you stressed about that? Because I feel very pressured. Like I'm going to have to cook this huge meal and I'm going to have so many people over my house and I'm going to be pissed <laughs> cooking by myself and cleaning by myself. And okay. Now, Cherie, this is ridiculous. Now it was taking a step back. What are you going to do? What are your options? Option one, I can cook and be pissed. That's not good. (laughs) Option two, I can do nothing. That's ridiculous. Option three, I can ask for help. And now what are you going to do? So first it's what options do you have? And then it's, what are you going to do? I use, I like to say, what should you do? I should ask for help, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what will you do? That's better. Not, I should. Okay. I should is actually not a commitment. Make a commitment. Now, what will you do? So I made a decision to send out a group text and say, Hey, hi there. <laughs> it's me. We're so excited to have you come over this year, but you know, what would make this event this festive. If everybody brings something, so just reply below a little pointy finger emoji with what you will be bringing. And I'm so excited to see you. And it's going to be great, I hope. That's <laughs> Guess what? Everybody replied. Not everybody, but hey, I'm bringing biscuits. Hey, I'm bring- doing this. So so that's how I use my, my emotions to benefit me is I, I name the emotion. And Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, is a great book where she talks about emotions. Um, I name the emotion. I, 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 number two is I, I've defined like, what is the thought? What am I thinking? What's the problem? Okay. And then number three, I look at my options and I give myself options. I can do this. I can do a, option A, option B, option C. And then it's Number four, what will I do? What should I do? Excuse me. Okay. Number five, what will I do? That's the commitment that you make. But here's the thing. When you go through this process, you can't be lazy. Okay. So so sometimes we just allow whatever kind of thoughts and emotions to just swing through our head. 
And that that's where I say you in order to be a leader, you can't be lazy. You have to lead your emotions. And I'm not talking about I always have that at a caveat. I'm not talking about someone who's just lost a loved one or you you've had something very horrific happen to you. I'm talking about the everyday blame it that I've done where I'm blaming society and my family and people and I'm not really taking accountability for myself. How about you, Matt? What do you do with your emotions to lead others? <laughs> um, so when you were breaking down this process that the counselor shared with you in this exercise to do, it was really interesting because it is it gave credence to the work that I've been doing and, and the work that was presented to me when I went through the master resilience training program for the army. Um, and one of the things that, one of the exercises we did to help people with counterproductive thinking um, and especially tracks uh, when you're doing these kinds of things consistently, when you can identify when I get home, I get asked this when I, whenever I get asked this question, then I respond this way. And this leads to fights right? A lot of times it takes a counselor to be able to identify that because people aren't spending that time introspectively to kind of create, it's not like we're sitting with an Excel spreadsheet. That's right. Like, okay, well, you know, seven times in the last <laughs> month, I've been asked this question. I always get pissed off. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you have to pay attention in order to identify where it's like, you have to know what that person needs to get them to their self-actualized self by asking questions. So this is turning it introspectively you have to ask yourself questions like okay well what and that's exactly what you did is you break it down through this list of questions and the way that we would we would facilitate this was through an uh atc model so action thought consequence and oh love it and 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 it's like there's almost nothing for you to take away because it's literally the process that you broke down. Like you just, you did. I, I was like, man, she just literally broke it down. But there were, there were a couple more like deviations or whatever, but they talk about heat of the moment thought like, okay, you know, there, there's an, there's an action. Something happens, you know, you, you get home and your, your, uh, husband is military. He was, he's former was. air force. So you're familiar with the idea of going to the field and deployments and not him not being around for since at a time. One thing that uh, would drive me bananas with my now ex-wife who was with me while I was in while I was in the army was she would say I'd get home and she knew that there was an exercise coming up and she'd say, you know, oh, well, how long is the field exercise going to be that you're going to go to? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never known. For all the years that we've been together, like it's scheduled from here to here. Do we we both know we've done this 17 times? <laughs> so this, we know that there's a buildup that I'm gonna be gone for. And it depends on what kind of role that I'm in. I promise you, I'm not keeping information from you. You know, I'm I will inform you once I become aware of it myself. But on the backside, like they can we can be done with the official thing. They're like, you know what? We didn't like it. We're running it back again. Like, okay, well, cool. It looks like we're out here for another week when it was supposed to be three days. So it, it was, so those types of questions for me, where it was like, I would tell you, you know, that was set. That would be like, come on, like, let's go. Like, like, why are we, why are we having the same conversation again and again? Um, 
and so this this type of it was cool because I went through the the program right I went through the massive resilience training program before I started facilitating classes while I was going through the course I started implementing those things into my life and it was funny because she would say she was like are you doing that MRT stuff on me right now and I was like I'm not doing it on you I'm doing it on me like (laughs) and a lot of it almost every if you go and you break down every there's like 14 component skills within the program and if you break down each one inherent the building blocks of each one are questions it's always questions it's just the way that you broke it down it's the same way they do there so what is the what is the activating event what is your heat of the moment thought and then Mm. uh, right so what's that knee-jerk response and it's and so for me it would have been like oh my god not again you know Uh, and then it's like okay well so what is your what is your full thought kind of on it and so then you you work through that process like okay this is this is why i had that heat of the moment thought and there's even parts of it that's like naming emotions exactly like you said that's actually really cool because something that i've talked about a lot is um what i've come to coin as the gray space i feel like all many humans many humans with too much time on our hands as we do in western civilization <laughs> we we live a lot in this gray area where mm. if you think about the way that you understand something even when it even if you're not trying to learn more about yourself but you're trying to learn more about something like this would be the case for me i would listen to a ton of podcasts i would listen to interviews and i'd I'd be studying this thing and then it wasn't until and i feel i'd walk away say after a month of listening to multiple different sources about one topic i would at the end of that month i'd say i feel fairly confident you know i feel fairly confident and competent as you said in my understanding of this and my ability to communicate about it because I've gotten a lot of different sources coming in and I've listened to all of them go through it in detail. And then I would have a conversation with somebody and I'd go to bring in and create the amalgamation of all of these ideas together, cross-referenced with my own personal history and life story into my presentation of just a communication with somebody else. And I would falter, you know, Poor, like very much so very very poor performance and i was like well, that's weird because i know what i know mm-hmm. but i wasn't able to to communicate that and it's because my knowing of it was in a gray space my knowing of it was it's here i know for sure i know exactly how i feel but i haven't articulate i haven't i haven't done the conversion process of of translating meaning to language that's Mm. that's what has been missing and so i think that that is probably one of the most practical and useful exercises that i've done is do that with things that are so simple and you can do it as part of a gratitude process is you explicitly write down the things that you're grateful for and keep it suit. If you're not familiar with the process, you do it very, very simple stuff. Do like I think about my wife, and I can write down the things that like I'm so incredibly grateful for her kind, loving spirit. Like oh, and but then because I know this, I know that she has that. I know that she's kind and she's loving and she she cares. She 
gives a you know what about people. You know, she just a heart and soul. She likes to hide it with a tough girl act a lot, but she's Puerto Rican. What do you do? And so, <laughs> but uh, so then I'm like, okay, well, we'll define that. What does that actually look like? I go, how does that manifest in real life? And I can be like, oh, well, this time, Thanksgiving, we went out with our leftovers and we knew where these homeless people went out to. And we knew by talking to them before that they'll send basically somebody out like uh, like a representative almost from their community out to these corners and rotating shifts and go out there and they'd bring the money and food back to their group. So we went out there with a feast and we're like, hey, here's just, none of this was my idea. I feel like I'm a generally a good person, but she's above and beyond. So like we brought a lot wow. of food <laughs> and we brought it out there. And so this was like a specific example that I can use to, to give credence to the idea that she is that what I said. And so it, it does, it takes things out of gray space. It enhances gratitude. It makes relationships more meaningful and you can do it with yourself, which enhances the meaning of your own interrelationship. And it allows you to understand what it is you really think about something. It's I've had more disputes with myself on paper than I probably have with like other people via communication where I write, I have the idea in my head and I'm writing it down. And then I think, is that my idea? Not like almost uh, like stealing, you know, like, did I just hear that and just adopt it without thinking about, without processing it? Like how much do, did I just hear this from three books saying the same mm. kind of thing and just say that? Yeah. But when I wrote it, there's something about like the permanency of writing that's like I, in my own penmanship, wrote this down as if it was from me. And I could agree with it. And I'd be cool with that. It's not like I'm turning this in and saying like, look at my original work. It's just like, these are the way that if I'm thinking about X top, if I think about leadership at work, I'm writing it down. You know, let me write down what, what are my thoughts about leadership at work? And then I can, as I'm going through, I'm like, oh, that's not. I don't know about that. Like if I actually think about my own experience, like, yeah, that sounds good as if it was done in a study and they have some research and this would sound good if I said it in front of a bunch of people and I sure would sound smart, but that doesn't line up with what I've experienced. Mm, and then I, I can explore. Yeah. So th for me, that's, um, that's kind of the way that I like to do uh, internal exploration of my, and, and I guess it's more of, turning my emotions into reality turning because the gray space is kind of like the uh, is something else i consider to be almost an, an emotional space where you have an emotional or a visceral understanding of something take that out you know put it through the logical mind so you're not discrediting it you're giving it the opportunity to be very well credited and you're not going to leave it disserviced by allowing it to remain in the gray space of a generalized understanding that you just, you intuit and you think that other people would just intuit as well, because not everyone has the same experience. I love that. I love that. And there is this, and I love the story of your wife. I'm just thinking that's a great idea to go yeah. out with um, on Thanksgiving and to serve people. And it's really gratitude with feet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
I was just thinking like, wow, that I was just thinking to myself and how, what a beautiful expression of being thankful than to give to others, especially during this time. And I love what you said about the permanency of writing. There is something that is so powerful in writing and having space and room in your mind to think. I, I do think in our society that thinking is a lost art because of which I was using my cell phone because I was taking notes as you were talking, yeah. but because of the immediacy of technology and the fact that you can DM someone and respond quickly, you can get a text and respond quickly. And so sometimes people don't think they don't give space and room to ponder and to think before they speak, much less before they live. Many people live thoughtless, aimless lives. And I, I was just talking to a, a woman, young woman, and she told me, um, I, well, let me just give a little context. So I, I coach, I do coach people, coach, coach women, coach men, coach, coach people, leaders who want to go to the next level. And typically I can help, I believe people who are frustrated and you feel stuck. I can help you. Even if you actually don't know what you want, a lot of times by talking and fleshing out what you're saying, we, we can really work together and, and the person will really discover what it is they want. They'll have language. They'll have language to what they want. But this woman was different in that she told me she just kind of lived day by day. I said, okay, well, um, do you know where you're going? Or do you know what you want? And she said, well, I don't know. I was like, okay, well, I mean, wh what drives you? What are you passionate about? Not, nothing really. And I thought, my God, I cannot help you. Because not only do you not know what you want, you're just taking anything that life will give you and you're actually okay. You're okay. So I am no help. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. I am no help. Because it, when it comes to vision, there's something powerful about writing it down. Once you write it down, write the vision on a tablet. It's an ancient scripture. Write it down. It is as if it is this vision that you have. It, it, it's like it's, it's set in stone. Not that thing, modifications can't be made, but a person must have an internal picture, a desire a drive it, 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 where they want to go and writing it down and giving space is something that people don't do. They don't, they don't have that gray space. They don't even know that there is a gray space. Mm -hmm. They just exist because there's no time to just to think. So, well, so, so then you just react. You're, you are a summation of reactions and I was telling some ladies in a group session, I said, you know, your life ha must have purpose, you know, because your purpose actually fuels your vision. 
hey, why are you here? And this is the direction that you're going. Because if you don't have clarity around your purpose and your vision, then your life is a series of tasks. It's a coffee date. It's a meeting. It's a drive. But it's going nowhere and it means nothing. So I love that idea of write it like, Write down your gratitude, write things down, give yourself room and space to be the creative being that you're actually meant to be. That's beautiful. I, yeah, obviously I agree. Um, one of the things I just do a quick little tangent before I want to, I want to tap into your, um, a little bit into the, your childhood you talked about there was some rough times there and how that led to the aimlessness of the twenties and thirties or like the less, not as purpose-driven um, as the Sharia as we've all come to know and love. Um, and then how, what was the kind of pivot point? But uh, one of the things that I think is important when you're doing, when you're deciding to take care of yourself and your, your, embarking upon this journey of self-discovery and you're you're choosing that and you're like okay well what what activities am i going to do if you're going to do one just start with gratitude start with gratitude it's the easiest most simple sit down it takes like you can do it in five minutes and just think about what it is that you're grateful for and find sit there with it until you find that emotional tie to what it is that mm. made you grateful and if you can't do anything one of the things that I like to do is is if I'm in a really bad place, which this is because of how much gratitude I've practiced and how much I facilitate these classes, like gratitude's a part of my everyday. But when I was starting out, I can still remember that there's times when you get overwhelmed, you know, at at different points and, and you can use gratitude to uh, interject those emotions because you can't feel anxiety and gratitude at the same time. You can't feel depression and gratitude. At the same. It's actually impossible like they've done the areas of the brain that are in charge of those different areas um so don't go down to science rabbit hole okay so it's fine uh, just, i love it i love I, it i i well this i'm i could battle myself on the thing that i just said but just to the generally speaking the areas that we've identified that are associated with things like negative thought and positive thought or or when we're being grateful and when we're anxious they're different it's not the same emotional place inside the brain and they can't both be activated at the same time so you choose gratitude and you can choose to stop that even if it's for like 30 seconds and you give yourself a chance to break and, and pause all of that's great but my whole point in this is that i want individuals to really enjoy that process if it's gratitude or if it's something as simple as I need to drink more water, you know, I want them to really enjoy it. And I want you to go bougie. Like I have, where is it? I have a really, really, really expensive, fancy pen. I never thought I would expend as much money as I did on a pen in my life. You have the pen. I want to see it. It's I love pens, journal. by it's the in way. my journal. Go figure, right? It's in my journal because I use it for writing. So 
it makes me so happy to write with this pen. I have actually, I have the, ah, it's fine. I have like all the refills because it's like uh, a fountain pen. And so like you have to do the refills of the ink on the inside and it's, it's, it's incredible. And it's so dumb, but it doesn't matter because you know what it does? It gets me excited to write. I have water bottles that I bounce between that like, this one is actually my current water bottle. It's got a straw. Right now, the straw is what got what has me motivated to drink. Because right now, that's that for whatever reason. It, the thing is, the whole point of this is that it doesn't matter why. If you have something that gets you super excited, and you're like, this is really cool. And I don't know why. And it doesn't really like, I just, I like doing it with this. You know, I like writing on this paper. This paper is so nice. You know, like, dude. Get a pack of the paper. Spend a stupid amount of money on it. It's okay. Like, do the thing. Invest in the thing as silly as it might be that is going to bring you joy in the process of doing it. And, and it can be whatever it is that you're that you're into. You know, just get that French press for your coffee. Like, if that's... That doesn't fall in line with this because it's not like healthy habits building. But, <laughs> but the idea is find the thing that you want to do to improve yourself like gratitude journaling and get that really nice pen that you just love the way the ink flows out of it. And then like invest into that and just, it creates a higher level of importance. It makes it more enjoyable. All of the things it's, it, it points to this is what we're doing now. And I really like it. So it's yeah. I don't know. It's silly. I realized it first actually with water bottles, which is why I brought it up. And I was like, dude, why did I, st- I go on spurts of like drinking tons of water and then I don't drink water at all. And then I'll pick a different water bottle that as like, oh, now it like pours out. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is what I've been missing my whole life. <laughs> and then three months later, I'm like, I need the one with the straw. I stopped caring why. It doesn't matter. When I follow that, that weird, I want to do it like this, I do it. I drink water then. And that's what I need to do. So I don't care how I got there. I don't care how weird it is. Own my weird. It's like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So I just, I'll use whatever random water bottle. I'll do whatever pen and I will use special paper, you know, to write. May I just say something about that? I, I just had this idea that sometimes people, me, when I'm saying people, I'm pointing at myself. <laughs> people. So you know, people actually don't want to say what we want. And maybe that comes from programming as a young child for me. I can only speak through my vernacular and perspective. I do know that most people as a child, you were told you can't have everything you want, which is true. That, I mean, it's true. You can't have everything you want, but if we're not careful, it can shut down these preferences that you have. And so then you are always delaying. I do believe in delayed gratification, but you're always delaying things that you actually want and desire that are simple and enjoyable. So sometimes you, at least that's just been my experience, Mm -hmm. not to enjoy even something that's little that would add to the environment of doing something as beautiful as gratitude and 
it's interesting how we have preferences when I was growing up. We, well, I didn't even know that I could have preferences. It was just kind of like, you. I mean, I mean, I was a kid, you know, everybody, you know, you just shut up and take what you're given. So I didn't even know that I had all of these preferences until I, I, I didn't even allow them to be expressed. That's what I would say. They were do- suppressed. They were suppressed until I became an adult and, and allowed expression of them. And I've even noticed there are people who they won't even verbalize. Oh, I don't like that. But if you won't stand for your preferences, what will you stand for? It's a really good point. I mean, if you don't like peanut butter, I like what you said. You don't have to explain why. It's not, I love peanut butter, by the way. But if somebody doesn't like peanut butter, you don't like peanut butter. Like you don't have to give an excuse. But if you prefer this, it's just your preference. And we can shut down the things that make us unique and beautiful so that we can enter into a group. But what makes humanity beautiful is that each person is so different. That's what makes this podcast exciting is that we're completely different. So I like what you're saying because I'm thinking, yeah, I need to continue to stand for my preferences. Because if you won't even stand for your pin, what will you stand for? And and the thing, a part of that process too, is you might think, what what difference what are the differences between pens, you know, and how much money did Matthew actually spend on that pen? We're going to leave, we're going to pin that one. We're going to leave that one on the wall. So but it's, it's one is you could spend a lot on a pen, but the thing is you, the pursuit of understanding your preferences, I think can be really important because then that is part of the process of understanding what it is that you don't prefer. Like you might know intrinsically, like, I really don't like, you know, doing X, Y, or Z, it doesn't matter. I don't, I really don't like doing this, but you, the only reason you know that is because you've done it, you know, um, you might not like stick on the writing thing. I might not like writing with mechanical pencils. I might prefer a, a wooden pencil that I have to manually sharpen because of the way that it feels. I know that because I've done it and you can figure that out by buying six, seven, 70 pens and like, yep, yep, yep. I like it. I don't like it. That's cool. Oh, that's multicolored. Wow. I didn't even know they did that. But uh, it's you can do, you have to, experimentation as part of the process. And the interesting thing is kind of loops back to what we were talking about is each time that you wrote with a pen, if you bought 10 pens and you wrote with nine of them and you didn't like the way they wrote, it was nine failures. I'm using air quotes for those just listening. Failures. Those were attempts in finding the right way they were attempts in finding the right pen it was just not the right one if you just think about it that like it's just it just wasn't the right one like you just have to find the right one and that one wasn't it like it might have gotten you closer it probably did get you closer like oh that's it's like this we're almost there it's writing more thick but it's not quite right you know like okay what does quite right look like i don't know yet you know but i know that it's not thinner it's thicker. So it's, you know, you just, you take on the details 
from the experiments, you're like, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. And that's probably one of the things that I think that people fail on the most is we'll set out on a goal. We'll say we want to do this. Let's take some action. And then what we called in the army when we would do planning, when we planned very large scale events, uh, we'd have um, things called IPRs, which was an in-progress review. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as that. Like, who are, how often are you doing your IPRs? And are you including other people? Are you looking to other people to uh, hold you, again, like you said, accountable, accountability? I want to bring this back because I know we don't have a ton of time left. I want to go back to the to the transitionary period and and maybe we can loop in accountability with this. Did you have anybody as you were growing up that served as a type of role model or more personally, anybody that you found that was keeping you more accountable in healthy ways towards uh you know, you you're obviously you're well educated and you're continuing you're continuing to pursue your education. By all means, please share that. Um, but in that process to make those decisions, you know, were they I'm assuming they weren't made in a vacuum. You know, who was around you, who were the influences and and how did how did we get here? Oh yeah, that's such a good question. Thank you. So who did I have as a young person growing up? Well, because I come from an abusive background, there weren't, there were a lot of role models as far as what I don't want to be. And Rachel Hollis says this, I think that she says this. Yeah, she did on impact theory. She said, we're act, we're either a reflection or a response to our parents, to our upbringing. You're either a reflection or a response. So I could initially say, hey, I didn't have role models growing up, not in my own home, but I actually did. I had role models of what I didn't want to be. So we can look and blame our background and go, you know, I didn't have, I didn't, it wasn't afford, it wasn't handed to me, but actually it was, but it was just in a form that maybe I wouldn't have preferred. I learned a lot about who I am and who I didn't want to be. I had my grandmother, who my grandmother, she was uh, 17 years old. She had two kids. She went back to school. She became a nurse. But this was in the 50s when Black women didn't really have the type of opportunities for education that they do that they do now. So from afar, I have my grandmother who is there. And then the subject of accountability, it actually it was a a foreign concept to me until I was in my 20s. It was a very foreign concept. It was something I had to learn. And while I, I did go to college, I actually didn't go back to school. For, well, I mean, the first time I went, I failed forward. <laughs> <laughs> I failed forward. I, I, I didn't do very well because I didn't know what I wanted. And even if I did, I wasn't committed to it. I wasn't willing to take action. So the second time I went, I had a one, one child and I had one on the way. And then I was like, I know what I want. And then I went again, when I got my master's, I had four kids, I had twins. I just got my master's in 2021, That's December, huge. 2021. So I had four kids. 
But going back to accountability, that was something I actually had to learn. And I learned that in a faith community about being accountable and what it looked like. And accountability for me, it's simply somebody saying, how's the progress going? It's not control. It's not somebody being all up in your business. It's not someone trying to manipulate you. It's none of that. It's how's it going? How are you making progress? And accountability for me now, I am a coach, but I have a coach. I had to get a coach. I had to get a coach to help me with my weaknesses. To help me with my weaknesses. Because I was like, oh my goodness. So one of my weaknesses, can I just tell you? Let's do it. I, I, I promise have, to reciprocate. <laughs> I have one of those personalities. I'm competitive. That's what the Clifton Strength Finder said. It explained a lot. I love to win. I'm like, man, who wants to lose? Like second place is first loser. That's me. And if I can't win, I actually don't. I'm not, not interested in playing. Monopoly, like, don't get me on a Monopoly board. I'm like, come on, baby. Come on the park place. Pay me my rent. I'm competitive. I just embrace it now. <laughs> I love it. At the same time, I can, I'm very focused and I'm a learner. But with that comes some, what I call, I call them this. They are things that can derail me. They're weaknesses that can really derail me. And I can tend to be a workaholic. So I had to get a coach to help me with those workaholic focused tendencies where I don't pay attention to other things that are, that are really important. And what the coaching session looks like is, okay, you know, what's, what do you want? My coach asked me, what do I want? They don't impose their own agenda. They ask me. And Sheree, what are you willing to do? And what kind of action will you take? And that's what accountability is. And I think every person needs a coach. Like think of all, all the Hollywood stars. Do you think that Brad Pitt got in, he got in like this epic shape for, what was it? Um, not, what was it he with Troy? the movie? Troy. Oh my gosh. Dude, like he just like Life. showed up. Yeah. No, he had a coach. This is me every day. This all Brad. Born this way. All Brad. All the time. Yeah, like, no. Like, he might be really, he might have been in great shape before, but in order to go to the next level where he looked like a warrior, he actually had to have him, have someone push him beyond his capacity of what he thought he could do. And that's all coaching is. It's someone helping you not only reach your limit, but exceed it. I think you'll never find out what you're capable of until you actually try, until you're pushed beyond what you you think you can do. So you, there's more in you. There's so much more in you. That's what I learned from someone who did Iron Man, which I like totally want to do Iron Man, but yeah, no. But one of the things that this you gentleman- You do it? Yeah, I could- <laughs> could it'd be a really good movie it'd be an epic fail like <laughs> kids don't ever do this at home no. or in public <laughs> but one of the things he taught me he said there's so much more in you than you know you're so much more capable but a lot of times it takes good people to help bring it out 
So I hope that that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I had, uh, like I said, I had Rob Dubin on, uh, I was the last guest and he brought up a really, really good point that touches on exactly what you were just talking about. Like you, you guys are mirrored and you don't even know it. <laughs> it's amazing. So he was, he was discussing what you do when you're injured and what, when you're sick and when you need to get from like a zero, say on a health scale of zero to 10, you know, if you're really, really sick, you might even be like in the negative side. You're so far below baseline. You need to be brought up to a zero, one, two, three, like a normal operating, just like, okay, I can exist now. That is what doctors are for. That is what psychiatrists are for and what therapists are for and what counselors are for, for the mental side, for the physical side. If you want to get from a four to an eight or a six to a 10, that's what coaches are for. Coaches are there to elicit the best performance and the peak performance from you as possible. And your 10 has nothing to do with somebody else's 10. Like your maximum output in this is, I think it's where a lot of people get tripped up in a lot of things. We're always looking externally because, I mean, shoot, that was one of the things that we were taught when I was learning to jump out of airplanes was you jump. And one of the first things you do once your chute is open is you look around to check the rate of descent of your fellow jumpers. Because if you're going faster, there's a problem to be solved. So there's value in looking at it. But what what we've done is we've overvalued that. We've overvalued what other people are doing and we've mm. undervalued and, and because it's not even it's really it's our response to it it's when we see what other people are doing our response and that's why i i invite change there to focus on what you're doing that's why you hear a lot of people inviting change like don't don't be better than what your neighbor is be better than what you were yesterday you know a lot of people are doing that because our it seems to be a consistent response for those who are struggling is when they see somebody doing better is that they get bitter, they get resentful and they don't take action. And that's mm. not the case for everyone. So it's the same thing that you and I've been talking about this whole time is if the shoe fits, wear it. So if you see somebody doing well, dude, I have this, I have this sometimes I see somebody that I know that I've communicated with and they get an opportunity that I could have gotten. And I see it and I'm like, did they, like, listen, I love him. He's a great person. But I know what I got, and I know that it's better. I know he's got, like, a it's a little piece of what I got. And I and then, so I, but I, it's so funny, because I know I reckon, I learned to recognize this, where it's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm pretending in my head, I'm making a game, and I'm pretending, like, that's it. Like, that's the only thing. There's only oh one. Oh my of gosh. These. Come on, Matt. <laughs> and so wow. I just had to learn to stop pretending. Like the I couldn't get like I couldn't speak at every speaking engagement. I couldn't have every single podcast guest on. I couldn't have I can't do all of it. And so I need him. I need him to go out there and speak. I need I need that personally. How does my message get furthered? This tidbit of mine that he's speaking on is getting brought out there and people are like, oh my gosh, this is, it's going to land with people. That that spreads the message. Oh, Matt, like I, 
drop drop the mic what is that drop your don't wait don't drop your mic that's what that was expensive (laughs) (laughs) like drop the mic you just wow comparison but then taking it to wait a minute like you're complimenting him he's only (laughs) he, he he's a role model but at the same time like you can't speak at everything you mean there's actually enough for everybody to go around and then some and then some, and it's, I think it's James Allen says this, you, you don't have to, you don't have to fight for space. That's yours. You do not have to fight for space. That's yours. That's a thought. It's a, it's a, it's a low level common denominator thinking that you have to fight for space. Not if it's yours, you have to fight to become the person that you're supposed to be, but the space it that belongs to you. You have a right to enter into your space. You do. Your gifts, your talents, they make room for you. Who you are as a person. And I just love that. I'm like, man, I'm going to take that home. I have to remember, I don't have to fight for space that belongs to me. But the space that I'm in, I need to take it up. Mm. Show up. Show up. And one of the greatest lessons I've learned this year is I can't compare my pain to someone else's pleasure. Whoever's going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to compare my worst moment to your best. Cause that leaves you with this one word lack. And you're so incredible because you could have allowed that situation to make you feel like there was lack and that's the the internal narrative that you were talking about that we have to sometimes beat that sucker down and go no I, i'm not going to compare this little moment of pain i want i want an opportunity i'm not going to compare it to your pleasure that's the wrong comparison why would i ever compare potatoes to bacon it's two different items don't compare i yeah, don't compare my pain to someone else's pleasure. I love it. Oh my gosh. I should have been taking notes, but you you <laughs> dropped it so fast. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? That was profound. I I, I hope that it's helpful for people. I think one of the things that's most important, we'll go, I'll, I'll ask one more question and then we'll we'll have to call it, but I have to have you back on because I feel like we're only scratching the surface. This is absurd. So, um. One of the things that I think is really important with this, when you're trying to shift your mentality, if you're trying to take on the mentality of that's so good, it's so good for him. And it's so good for the people that are hearing his message that are going to have their lives, lives changed by it. That's amazing. That makes me so happy. It's really important to have people around you. Like going back to the role model thing, you don't have to be a role model, just be a model, just, just, be an example. Like a lot of times people think about being a role model and they get nervous. Like, oh my gosh, well, I'm not perfect. I can't be a role model. Don't, don't, please don't. <laughs> you know, just don't be. Choose to live your life with meaning and purpose. And that that in and of itself will be the model. You'll be able to be that model for somebody else. And if you're able to find people around you that you can spend time with 
who exhibit those things that you know are the best version of yourself. Like you might, you might hear this and say, oh man, I wish that I could do that. Like I see value in my ability to do that, but that's not my nature. Like my go-to, the habits I've built. And it's not to say that it's not like it's against who you are as a person. It's just not, it's just the habits. You've just built up mental shortcuts to responding negatively to those events. So be around people who are doing the opposite thing. And the beautiful thing in this day and age is that we have podcasts like this. We have shows and other people and you can filter out the ones and find the people that are promoting that type of message. So if you can't find the people physically around you, you don't have time to go make new friends because Lord knows we're all a little time struck, (laughs) but you can do that. You find, find people that are having conversations that promote ideas like this and, and bring more and more and more of those in. So I think that's important. I think it's something that people can actually walk away and do. And that's really what I want. What I wanted to ask you amongst the 75 additional questions that I would like to ask you for another time. <laughs> um, what people that are listening to this right now that have, have stuck with us all the way through, you guys are heroes. Um, easy for me. This is a great conversation. So uh, what, What's the one piece of advice that you would give or one idea, one concept that you would give to people listening that they could implement today and see and start to see a return on investment? What's like the, the, just one piece from Cherie that would, and by all means, I mean, you could give three if you want to. I just. (laughs) Thank you for asking me, Matt. I've had so much fun with you. It's really like having a cup of coffee, which is just a, it's a cup of tea when it comes down to, I like what you said about people, people and, and how important it is to have those voices around you. I would talk on the concept of who are the voices around you? I would take it back to the listener and I'm going to ask you who are the voices around you? Number one, you're in control of what you hear. You are actually in control of that. And so who are the people, if we think of your life in your life as a bus, who are the people in the seats? Who are you allowing to sit on your bus and to speak into you as a bus driver? Who are they? So evaluate who is around you. So sometimes we can talk about, oh, I don't have such and such around you. I don't have these people around you. Okay, who is around you? Because you got somebody around you. There's coworkers, there's family. Next question is, is what role do they play? What kind of relationship do you have with them? Are they mentors? Are they peers? Are they associates? Mentors are people who pour into you. Okay, we all need those. Peers are people that you're on the same level and you have relationship with. Associates, those are people who you just have associations with based on a common denominator, such as a workplace or an activity. Associates may not be friends. And sometimes people can get those mixed up. They think, oh, my associate is my friend. Where if you take that common denominator, like the work relationship away, you find out that this associate wasn't a friend. They were an associate. So who's on the bus? What role do they play? And who do you need to be there? Who do you need to be there? 
Do you need a mentor? Well, I don't have one. I don't. Okay. Can you get a coach? Okay. You can't get a coach. Can you listen to a podcast? Can you read books? Well, I don't have any money. The public library. If you go down to the public library, did you know that you could get a library card? <gasps> did you know that? You can get a library card. Get this. For free. You can get a library card for free and you can pick up a book and you can read. Why don't I like to read? Did you know you can get audiobooks? See, I am the queen of I don't want to hear it. I really am. I am the queen of I don't want to hear it. I don't have any money at the public library. There is an app where you can listen to audiobooks. Get this for free. So who do you need to be sitting in that seat? Who do you need? And I want you to think about what kind of people you want around you. Because if the people on your bus are not the kind of people you want, you need to be serving an eviction notice. And I'm not saying be rude, but I would rather be with the wrong. I would rather be with nobody than the wrong somebody. Because if you want to know who you are, I will tell you who you are. Show me your five closest friends. That's who you are. And that's who you're going to be. And they even say that the people who are the closest to you, th those people are the summation of what your income is going to be. So you might need to be getting you some new friends. I I'm not, I'm not sure. Or, or new associations. And then when you think about who you want to be on the bus, I'm going to challenge our listeners today, your listeners, Matt, to become that person. You have to become who you want to be. Become who you want to be. And it's all going to come down to this. What action are you going to take? I didn't say what action should you take? Well, I need to. No, no. I said, what action will you take? So get out a pen today. Write down the people who are on your bus. Write down what kind of relationship that they have with you. Associate, mentor, peer. Write down the kind of people that you need. And then decide to be the kind of people to get those people that you need on your bus. And here's a bonus. If there are people who are around you who are people that you want, you aspire to be like, I would say serve them. How can you add value to them? <laughs> Sometimes we're always trying to extract value. Somebody pour into me. I need a mentor. Remix. I'm going to put a remix on it. How can you add value? What, can you, what is it that they need? Because those kind of people are so used to people trying to make withdrawals. Be different and make a deposit. What can, what can you do? And, and I think that that will really help serve our listeners to be resilient, <laughs> to go out in life, and that they're, they're going to go out, they're going to commit, and they're going to take action. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. To anyone that that missed any of that the, and missed any of this and is popping in at the last minute for the for the life lesson here, go to the library. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, really, really. Actually, ironically, uh, that was one of the first things we did when we got here. Just moved to New York, just got here um, within like two weeks. And one of the first things we did was go to the library, get the library card, get set up on the app, 
for listening to audiobooks. She's not talking from nothing. They're mm-hmm. real. They exist. Get it. Thank you. Thank you so much. You are incredible. Your spirit shines bright. You bring a great energy. And I don't think that there's a person that you could be in touch with that would not benefit from it. So much kudos to you in the life that you're suit you're deciding and choosing to live with purpose. I love it. Thank you so much, Matt. You were so much fun. I'm like, oh my goodness, this was amazing. You have mm-hmm. a like a wealth of knowledge and this resilient spirit that just makes me want to like be a warrior or something, which if I want to be a warrior, I'm not sure. I'm not going to go swim 800 meters, but, but really your life story and your experience and you being able to draw those experiences. I, what I really like about you is you take your experiences in the military and then just make them apply to everyday life. So it's digestible and easy for someone who like me, who's not lightning fast. I don't know I can if I apply buy it. all that. <laughs> I don't know if I buy all that, but, but thank you. Thank you so much. I hope that we can do this again because I'd love to learn more. So we'll get it figured out. But until then, continue being great. Continue inspiring others. Thank you. Thank you, Matt.